0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. It's great to see all of you here today. Thank you for being here and Happy Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians today, if you would, chapter 1. I've just titled today's message, Thank God. Can somebody say, Thank God? Amen. See, it's good to hear thank God when the message is just started, because I always hear thank God when I'm ending the message. But <laughs> thank God at the beginning, it's very encouraging to the pastor. Yeah, okay. Like I have a friend out in West Texas, he he and his family, they, they pray after they eat. Because he said, it's easy to thank God when you're hungry and when you're ready to eat. And he said, but when you're satisfied, sometimes you lose sight of... Your thankfulness. Well, I'm going to torture you like I did the first service and ask you uh, did you hear about the man who uh, sued the airline because his luggage went missing? Uh, He lost his case. Thank you. Well, I told you, I've told you this before. If you'd, if you'd put more money in the offering, the jokes would get better. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 1. Now that's a joke, you know that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Notice I said that after you gave, so okay. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you can't come short in no gift. I love that. That you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be, wow, that's all one word there, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Can I get a good amen? Amen. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There are four things I want you to look at today. This Paul begins this, this prayer, this thanksgiving, and he starts thanking God for things that are happening in the people's lives. And those things are God, thanking God for his favor, thanking God for his fullness, thanking God for his forgiveness, and thanking God for his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Say it. Favor, Amen. fullness, Amen. forgiveness, Amen. and faithfulness. Hallelujah. Uh, I want to uh, go back to four for a moment. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God or the favor of God. It, It literally means a favor which one receives without any merit of his own. Praise God for that. God has granted us favor with which we have received without any merit of our own. It was given to us by Christ Jesus. Let's just lift up our voice and say, thank you for your favor. Thank you, you, Father, for your favor, in Jesus' name. Amen. See, the known known definition here, we've covered uh, the definition of grace many times, which means unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor from God. That's beautiful. But I want to read another definition of it. It's the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and it means the divine influence upon the heart. And it's reflection in the life. Isn't that nice? The influence on the heart and it's reflection in the life, including gratitude. Gratitude is the reflection that grace has touched the heart. It's the natural, it's the right response then. When grace has touched your heart, your heart has received, those who receive an abundance of grace, the scripture says, that thanksgiving and gratitude is the response to that. Amen. Um. And, and part of what God gave us in His favor, I would say the largest thing He gave us was His son and His son's sacrifice. What Jesus did for us with His own blood is a marvelous, marvelous thing. And it's something that we we appreciate and we thank God for it. But I think many times we miss the magnitude of what His blood has done for us. We miss the power of it. And, and um, because <clears throat> what his blood did for all men, nothing else could do for man, not even man's own blood himself. Um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so God set up a sacrificial system that was a temporary system until the Lamb of God could come. And, and that's why they sacrificed all those animals to, uh, to, to cover the people's sin there through Israel and God set that up in the tabernacle, and the priests had to come in and they had to administer the sacrifice for the people and, and just to keep their sins covered but it, it couldn't remove it could simply just cover kind of putting a bandaid over you know a, a wound and just enough to cover but that was about it basically to keep God from killing everybody <laughs> it was just to just to kind of keep his wrath appeased at the time toward man man's sin so then Jesus comes, and then John the Baptist sees him. He is one who's preparing the way of the Lord, and he sees Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Now, that was, an, that was a revolutionary statement that John made there. Really, basically, he canceled out the entire sacrificial system by that one <laughs> phrase. That Lamb takes away the sins of the world, which means there is no more need for these other sacrifices now, because... They can only cover, but he has come to take them away. Thank God for that. That's what his blood has done. I just want us to, to do this for a moment today. I want, I want to talk about just those significant places that Jesus bled for us. One of those is the first bleeding. Now, we, it doesn't say blood was there, but we know blood is present when this happens, and that was when he was eight days old at his circumcision. That was very significant for all of us but especially for the Jews that Jesus was circumcised because that's what God began with our father Abraham and that circumcision was not what made Abraham righteous it was the seal that he was righteous it was the sign that he was made righteous we know that Abraham was made righteous by faith so God brought Abraham into co- into his covenant and said you're going to need to circumcise you and all the male males in your house, and from this generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and you will be a people that will be separated unto me. You're not going to look like everybody else. And so they did that, and so that was, that was a sign that they were in covenant with God. It was important that Jesus do that as well, being that he was a Jew, but also that it was the ushering in of the new covenant, and that Abrahamic covenant which preceded the law, the old covenant, was still in force there. But really, it was a picture of the covenant now that we are in today with God. Thank God. And it's not through our own circumcision, through natural circumcision. No, the scripture says, now we are circumcised of the heart. All right? That was an important bleeding that Jesus did there and the second place that we see in the scriptures where Jesus played was when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was under the pressure; his body was literally breaking down from the pressure that was being put on him as God was transferring the sins of all of us onto His Son. And Jesus spoke out in that agony and 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 in that panic, if you will. In the Greek, if you look at the kind of stress he was under there, there's panic, there's anxiety, there's all these things that are coming up on him, and he, he he that's why he's, he's trying to get his disciples to watch with him and to pray with him. And they're so tired, of they don't even understand what Jesus is going through. He's literally by himself bearing the sins of all mankind. But his body is beginning to feel it and starting to break down. And Luke, the physician, wrote about it. And he said his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when that happens, men die from that. That is a terminal thing that happens. and, And there's no reversal of it. And when Jesus said, "My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, ex- exceeding sorrowful, even unto death," Jesus felt death coming upon him because sin was being put upon him, and he and, and he literally began to break down. So we know that if he felt death, then then that was already beginning, the transfer of our sins upon him. And so, and and that's when he cried, "Abba, Father, take this. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." And we all we all understand that Jesus was not trying to get out of this sacrifice at this moment. He's not trying to escape the cross and say, get me out of here. No, he's trying to, to live through that garden experience. He's facing death. And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Because Jesus knew he had to hang on that cross. And guess what? God answered his prayer. Yeah. Angels came and they strengthened Jesus. So he was able to keep going forward until he finished the work for us. Thank God for that. And so Jesus finished the work at the cross for us. But that, that, that bleeding there in the garden was significant because that had to do with, that, that shedding of blood had to do with the pressures of life that come on you to try to break you down, try break down your mental, your mental health and, and, and bring anguish and fear and anxiety. Blood was shed for that. Then we know that he endured what was called the Roman scourge. And the Romans did not beat a man 39 times like the Jews did. They beat a man mercilessly. They beat him and beat him. And it wasn't just with rods. They used what was called the catanine tails or the, the Roman flagellum. And that flagellum had all kinds of sharp things that were weaved in the, to the strap, so that when that flagellum came down over, that the man would bend over like this, his back completely exposed, and they would take the, the flagellum. they had it in such a way they had trained themselves in such a way that they could bring the most torment with every strike with this thing, bring it down on the man's back, twist their wrists so that those sharp objects would set into the skin and then rip the flesh off. And it was one after another, after another, after another, after another, they beat him mercilessly. The scripture said his visage was so marred that no man could even recognize him as a man. It's this little clean little thing that we see of Jesus with one little, bl- little stream of blood coming from his side and little streams coming from, it's not even close. Not even close. We can't even imagine what, what he must have looked like after that beating. They said that these guys would, these, these flagellum would wrap around a man. They didn't care where they hit a man. Wrap around the face, rip their nose off their face. I mean, just awful, awful, awful. Many of them didn't survive because they lost so much blood and Organs exposed and all kinds of things. That's the kind of beating your Savior went through. Why? He said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. That's why it is crazy for any Christian to think well, I don't know if it's the Lord's will to hell. Are you kidding me? Why does he have all those scars all over him? Huh? See, he had it settled in himself. He knows it's God's will. He knows it's God's will. He paid for your healing. The same afternoon that he paid for your sins to be washed away, he paid for your healing. You can't separate the two. How many of you believe that everybody, all, that that forgiveness was for all mankind? How many of you believe that blood was shed for all mankind? Then you have to believe. You can't separate the two. You have to believe that healing is for all too. It was all in the same moment, the same day. Don't get to pick and choose just so it'll fit in your little denominational box. Praise God. Praise. Then there was this crown of thorns that was crammed down upon his head. So they beat it down upon his head. to mock him, king's crown. And that crown of thorns is, was purposefully done because everything God did concerning the curse that was against us, he reversed it. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, told Adam, he said, curse will be the ground for your sake. And now the ground is going to yield thorns and thistles. And now you are going to have to labor and toil to get that ground to produce. You're going to have to go around the thorn. The thorns are going to be in your way. So you're going to have to work and sweat by the sweat of your brow. He said you're going to eke out a living. But now he wears those thorns as a crown on his head. And when he bled, he broke that back of poverty and lack, and eking out an existence just to make a living in life. And then he hung on that cross. That was the fifth place, the fifth place where he bled. And it was at that cross that Christ became a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Five places. Isn't it interesting? Five places he bled. And it just happens to be the number for grace. But on that cross, he bled five places. Mm -hmm. The right wrist, the left wrist, the right foot, left foot, and his side. So now the scripture says that it is reasonable for us now to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. It's reasonable for us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I want you to do this for a moment. When you lift your hands, just lift your hands above you. I want you to think 5 and 5, 5 and 5 where he bled. When you raise your hands, you see Jesus sacrificed for you. You are reminded of every place he bled and the purpose in which he bled, uh, for which he bled. Hallelujah that your sins were washed away. Hallelujah that you were healed. That, you, that that you were provided for. Hallelujah that all your mental and physical pains have been have been relinquished by his blood. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for that. Just offering him up. Now the scripture says, now we offer, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips giving thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood that it brought us near to God. Hallelujah. Thank you for your blood that opened up a way for us forever. Hallelujah. Thank you that your blood speaks better things than that of Abel for us today. Lord, his blood cried out, avenge me, but your blood cried out, forgive them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that has made us today blameless today, holy in your sight. Thank you for your blood that has cleansed every sin from us, cleansed us from all of our sins. David said in Psalm 141, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands. As the evening sacrifice. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank God for his favor. Look at verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that you were enriched in everything. I love this, that you were enriched in everything. That's a big statement, isn't it? By him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. There is no lack with this God of ours. So we thank Him for His fullness. We're enriched in everything. We thank Him for His favor and we thank Him for His yeah. fullness. Yeah. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a young student who sat at the feet of Socrates, anxiously wanting to learn from the Master. And Socrates, with a penetrating delay, Great, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Gaze. He asked the young man, Where can I find the best things in life? The young man was a bit startled and astounded by the depth of this question, and so he started to think about the best fabrics, where he could find the best fabrics, or the, the finest robes, or, or the finest. Restaurants that you could go to enjoy the finest foods and the finest wines. Or, or maybe just going throughout the marketplace and find, finding the, the finest merchandise. And as he was about to answer the question, Socrates raised his hand as if to interrupt him in his thought. And asked, must we not first, however, ask what the best things are? And that statement alone forever changed Plato's life. To spend your time is to waste your time searching for the best things in life. You must first know what the best things are. And let me remind you today, family, that if you have Jesus, you've got the finest thing in life. Amen. Amen. That there, there is, uh, those things of this world are temporary, and at best, they'll only bring a temporary experience of happiness and satisfaction but nothing can do you like him because there is none before Jesus and there is none beyond him. He will never grow old and he will never wear out. Praise God. He is a bottomless well. He is a well that will never run dry. He is a river that keeps on flowing into your life. Hallelujah. I mean, think about how high would you want to go? Jesus Jesus is higher than that. How deep do you want to dig? Jesus is deeper than that. He's taller. He's stronger. He's wider. He's the greatest. Amen. There is none before him. There is none beyond him. He has the name that is above every name, that at that name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Whatever whatever you deem to be great, he's greater. As lovely as the one that you love is, he is ever lovelier. Hallelujah. He's brighter. He's exceedingly. He's abundantly. He's above all that we could ask or think. David said, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's at the right hand of God? His Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And in Him, in Him, in Him are all the pleasures of life. I love that. I also love what, what John said. I'm, I'm going to read the amplified version of John one sixteen. I love this. He says, for out of His fullness... Abundance we have all received, all had a share, and were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Peter said, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us by glory and virtue. The great apostle Paul said, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Amen. Amen. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Praise. you for your fullness, God. Praise. Thank you for your favor, and thank you for your fullness. Let's look at verse verse four. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless. Say blameless. Blameless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now he says that you're going to be blameless on Judgment Day. Well, that's good news, isn't it? I don't know about you, but Judgment Day used to scare me. When I was a kid, they made us watch these movies. There were these movies about the end times and about rapture, and they were called, one was called Thief in the Night, and one was called The Image of the Beast, and... And so we'd sit there and we'd watch these movies and watch all these Christians get their heads cut off by a guillotine and then thinking like, Judgment Day's coming and it looks horrible. It's terrifying, right? I was so scared of that day. I didn't ever want that day to come. I had thought about all the sin I was living in by the, by the age of 10, all the terrible things I had done, <laughs> yep. chewing gum in school and... pulling girls' pigtails, all the terrible things. Oh, I don't want to face that, God. But this says that Jesus is going to present you blameless. Now, there's only one way that he can do that. There's only one way that Jesus can present you blameless. You have to be forgiven in order to be blameless. And this is where we thank him for his forgiveness. That's what I'm talking about, the depth of his forgiveness. It's hard for us to understand this. The depth of that forgiveness goes all the way to judgment. I said the depth of that forgiveness goes all the way to judgment day where you get to stand before him blameless. That means he has saved you all the way. His salvation doesn't try to get you to heaven. His salvation already has you there. Seated in heavenly places with Him. That's how forgiven you are right now. You are so forgiven. How forgiven are we? You are are so forgiven. Now watch this. That John said it like this. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That's 1 John 4:17. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Which means you're so forgiven that you are like him. That's what it says. As he is, so are we in this world. That means if Jesus judges you, then he has to be judged too. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Exactly. If he judges you, then he has to be judged. But because He is like you, you're blameless like Him. Woo! Hallelujah! So God is not going to forgive you. Because He already has. Let me say that again. God is not going to forgive you. God has already forgiven you. It's a done deal in His Son. So that you'll never trust in yourself. I'm telling you, you'll start trusting in yourself if you still think that you have to get forgiveness from God. You'll trust yourself. And this, this is what men have come up with. Well, I got to make sure I confess all my sins just to make sure. So you're trusting in yourself. You need to get saved. Because you're not going to take yourself to heaven. Confessing your sins ain't going to take you to heaven. You need to confess that Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get saved. Amen. Yeah. Because God knows us, and we can be a forgetful bunch. Because yeah. yeah. if it's about how much you confess your sins, there is a chance you'll forget one. Yep. And if you forgot one, you're damned. Yeah. 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 It don't matter how many you confess, if you forgot one, you're damned. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Aren't you glad that you don't have to depend on you? Aren't you glad it's all depending on Jesus? Well, Pastor Eric, that sounds like we're free. Yeah, we are free. How can we be that free that he's already forgiven us of all of our sins? What about the ones that haven't committed yet? You hadn't committed any when he forgave you. You weren't there. You don't have any past sins before the cross. You're 2,000 years later, and he already forgave your sins. Right. All of your sins were future sins. Yes, he did. Wow. Yes, he did. Right. Well, it sounds like we can just go do whatever we want. I hope to God you do. Because now that you are a Christian, you actually have his wants. Yeah. Come on. Now that you're a Christian, now you're a new person, a new creation in Christ. You're not this flesh. You're fighting this flesh. But if you call you the flesh, yeah, yeah, that's where you get in trouble. When you identify with who you are, because the spirit, man, now, Paul says, we've got this war going on in the flesh. It's in Galatians chapter 5. And he says, and so the flesh fights against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you don't do what you want to do. Oh, oh, what's keeping you from doing what you want to do? The flesh. Because your want to is his want to. Because he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's why I'm saying you need to be so free that you do what you want. So the flesh has no control. You're fully submitted to God and his word and his will. Woo! That sounds like just go do what you want. Thank God. That's the beauty of the gospel. It really is good news. It's freeing. What God did for us. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous for us to be thinking that, well, I'm hoping God forgives us. I, I was telling the it so it's be like me marrying this woman, and I did, and I'm glad about it. I don't know how she feels about it, but I feel great about it. If once I married her, it'd be ludicrous for me to ask her again to marry me. Because once I married her, that question is no longer relevant. Will you marry me? That's <laughs> good. Too late. <laughs> right? Lord, will you forgive me? Why are you asking for something I've already done? Yes. Come on. Oh, good. That question is irrelevant. Yep. Why don't you just thank me that I have? Yes. Huh? Yeah. Thank you, Lord, that I have. Well, what do you do when you sin? Stop. Yeah. How about just stop sinning? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. There's, a, there's a thought. You know, you don't have to sin. That's right. My family, I just come here to tell you today, you don't have to. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that it's not probable. I mean that it's probable that you that you won't. I'm just saying that it is possible that you don't have to. Amen. Amen. You really do have a choice. Thank God for his forgiveness. Okay, let's 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 finish this up. Look at uh, verse nine. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ, our Lord. This last thing that we're gonna be thankful for today is thank God for His faithfulness. God is so true to His word. He's so good to us. And and His and His faithfulness far exceeds any of our expectations. We, we'd like for people to see us in that light, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd like to see ourselves in that same way. You know, that we are greater than what people. <laughs> we'd like to put ourselves in the light that we are better than what we really are. Come on. How many of you ever filled out a job application before? You're stellar on that thing, aren't you? Huh? I just want to I wanna write I, I saw this thing. I want to just this is where we really present ourselves as the best. We want to get that job. So I want to give you some phrases people use in job interviews, and, and then maybe maybe the the possible interpretation of that phrase. I take pride in my work. <clears throat> possible interpretation. I blame others for all my mistakes. <laughs> I'm personable. Interpretation, I give lots of unsolicited personal advice to all my coworkers. (laughs) I'm very adaptable. I've had lots of jobs. I'm on the go, which means I'm never at my desk. I'm highly motivated to succeed, which means as soon as I find a better job, I'm out of here. We don't always measure up. But the scripture says that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He remains. You know, I, I tried to present myself in a, in, a, in a way that I wasn't when I went on my first date with Heather. And <clears throat> she, uh, she and I went and we went and saw Pelican Brief. That's how long we've been married. Some of you are like, what? What's that? <laughs> it's a movie. And Yeah, anyway, it's a good movie. And we went and ate at the fanciest restaurant I knew of in San Angelo. One of the fanciest. Where did we go? Do you remember? The Wharf. Good guess. Okay. January 7th, 1994 was our first date. And um, and then she started kissing me, and I was like, no, I'm waiting until I'm married. And (laughs) something like that. Well, she's Catholic, you know, so they, they, they got a little more flexible rules. <laughs> hey, I went to the Catholic church, and the priest was serving beer at, uh, in, the cake, in the, the cake bazaar. He was in the Coors Light booth serving there. I was like, I've been in the wrong church all my life. What? The pastor's serving there. That's awesome. Anyway... anyway um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So that, later on that night, later on that, uh, that evening, we went, we went to have coffee at this little place called The Kettle, which is kind of like Denny's or something like that, you know. It stayed open late. So we we're having coffee. Well, I, I'm, I went to The Kettle quite a bit because it, back then I had my band, and, and so we'd play late night in the bars, and then we'd go have coffee after it was over. And, and so this one particular waitress, she was used to seeing me there, and she knew that I loved lots of cream in my coffee. So she sees us come in, her name is Billy, and uh, she sets down, and she brings this bowl with all this whole stack of creamers, right? And puts it there on the table, and then she sets our coffees down, and Heather just picks up her mug and just goes drinking black coffee. And I'm like, how can I put cream in my coffee as a man and impress this woman who's drinking black coffee? So I just picked up that coffee and went to drinking black coffee. And since then, I've never looked back. Because once you go black, First Corinthians chapter ten. That's what I hear anyway. First, First Corinthians chapter ten, Lord Jesus, verse thirteen. First Corinthians chapter ten. I didn't finish the phrase, you did. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation, watch this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. I love this. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's what I'm telling you right here. You, you don't have to sin. Amen. Amen. God yeah. will not allow you to be tempted Above what you are able. Watch. But with the temptation, where's the temptation coming from? Come on. His name is Satan. Yeah. All right? Yeah. With the temptation, he will provide. This is God, will also make a way of escape. Oh, see, God provides the escape. The devil provides the temptation, God provides the escape yep. that you may be able bear it. Now, one of the greatest ways, I want to talk to you young people that are full of vinegar and the other thing, and, and you've got, I mean, you have just, you've got s- s- feelings and hormones and all that stuff raging on the inside of you and a s- s- sex drive that sounds like a race car. you You have got all this stuff going on. And I'm telling you, there are scriptures that talk about what to do with uh, sexual immorality or, or the temptation of sexual immorality. And the scripture basically offers one solution to it. Run! That is one temptation that you just have to flee youthful lust. That's what it says. Flee! You don't stand around and go, well, I'll, I'll wait till I cool down. No, you have to run to cool down. All right? Get out of there. escape, run, but this is it. God always provides a way of escape. That's such a blessing, isn't it? And I want to finish with this last scripture. Second Corinthians chapter one, watch this. But as God is, God is faithful. Our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Now watch this. I want you to understand this. That it says God is faithful, so just like God is faithful, our word was not yes and no, which God's faithfulness is yes. Look, for all the promises God of, of, of God in him are yes. All the promises of God in him are what? Yes, so let me ask you a question. If you ask God in prayer, what is the answer? Yes. yes. Come on. I remember sitting and listening to a preacher preach one time, and I have to admit, he wasn't like us. He was of a denominational persuasion. And he said, Sometimes God's answer is yes, sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes God's answer is slow. Sometimes God's answer is grow. I'm like, nice poem, dude, but can we get the truth, please? God's answer is yes. See, that, that's what I'm talking about. He is so faithful, he's not going to change that. And our experiences sometimes don't prove that to be true. Watch. Sometimes our experiences don't prove that to be true. Are we relying on our experiences to prove whether that's true or not, though? That's my question. Something else is wrong. If his answer is yes, and yet we haven't seen that yes manifest, then maybe I'm the problem. Just maybe. Maybe it's not his faithfulness that's the problem. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I am faithless. Maybe I need to grow in faith. Maybe I need to stick with it and imitate those who, through faith and what, Jeremiah? Patience, inherit the promise. Faith and patience inherit the promise. How long did it take Abraham to see that promise revealed in his life? How long did it take? Well, I don't want to be like Abraham. Shut up. Get over it. Get in process. All right? Get in process. You're not going to get it instantaneously all the time. But the truth is, God is faithful. God is faithful. And Abraham heard that promise for 24 years. In you, all the nations of the earth, be blessed. He said, God, can you prove it to me finally? I don't even have one child. You're saying, I'm the father of the world. And God says, okay, that's your name. You're now father of the world. Father of a multitude of nations. Not just father, father of a multitude of nations. And when Abraham got God's promise in his mouth, it was just one year later. God said it for 24 years. Abraham said it for one. The moment he started saying what God said, see, the problem was not God's faithfulness. The promise was not God's promise. It was the man and how he dealt with that promise. And once he decided he was going to agree with God, he was going to believe God, That's when the promise started manifesting. Bam, 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 bam. He started seeing the faithfulness of God. The scripture says he did not waver at the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Because he was persuaded, he was fully convinced that God was able to perform what he promised. Amen and amen. God is faithful. Amen. Let's thank him for his faithfulness. Let's thank him for his favor. Thank him for his fullness. Thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We bless you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, which means you are good and you are never going to change that about yourself. You are fully faithful so that we can come to you in boldness and confidence. We can pray in confidence with thanksgiving, knowing that when you hear us, God, we always have what we've asked for. Jesus, you said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Whatever you ask the Father. We thank you for that. Thank you for that simple, simple, wonderful, powerful truth. Help us not to complicate this stuff, but to simply live this life of thanksgiving. I I just happen to believe that if we'll live thankful, that'll keep all the complexities out. Just be purposeful in thanksgiving. Just be purposeful in thanksgiving. As you're going into this thanksgiving week, say some extra thank yous. To God this week. Set your sights on it. Think, think about it. just the clothes you got on. Thank him for it. Walk through it. Thank you for my shoe. Thank you for my socks. Look at my socks, y'all. I got the Pastor Roxanne and Miss Deb sent those to me in the mail this week. Aren't those cool? Thank you, Lord, for those socks. You know, thank him for these things. Thank him for, thank him for the car that you have. Thank him for your spouse. Thank him for your kids. Hey, you don't have to feel thankful to say you're thankful. Just <laughs> say thank you anyway. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we're breathing right now. Thank you for health in our bodies. Thank you that we woke up today and got to come to church. We weren't stuck in jail somewhere. Amen. Thank you that we're on this side of the dirt. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're not in a hospital. Thank you that you could have put us in any other country, but you put us in America. Thank you for that. Thank you for this building. Thank you for this keyboard player and singer. Thank you for faith. Leads us in praise and worship. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for these chairs sitting in here today. Hmm? Thank you for these that are sitting around me today. Thank you for the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we have here we have one another to lean on and bear one another's burdens and to experience the love and the joy of this rich fellowship that we have together. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you, Lord. great Andre Crouch wrote a song years ago. and said, I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why Jesus even cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad he did. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for meeting needs here today. Lord, you know every person's situation. here. Your word says you know we have need of before we ask. But you said you'll ask You'll receive. What is it that you have need of today? Just ask him now. Just ask him. He loves you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to help you. He wants wants to release all of his good things to you. If you'll simply ask, you'll simply believe today that he is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he can do. Hallelujah. That his word is alive in your life. His word is alive and relevant for you right now. thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you baptized us with your Spirit and given us this wonderful language. As Paul said, when you, when you pray in an unknown tongue, he said, you give thanks well. <laughs> Hallelujah. Even the language of the Spirit is one of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Got to build a fire in my house this morning. It might be premature, I don't know, but I saw frost on the ground. I thought, yeah, I'll build a fire. And I just built the fire and I was sitting just in the dark living room before the sun came up meditating on the message and praying. Looked over that fire and said, God, thank you that I can enjoy that thing right there. That's just awesome. Little things that we don't take advantage of. Take a moment to say thank you. Stop and recognize God in your life and you'll see Him everywhere. Everywhere. Amen. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.